Welcome to That You May Grow Thereby, a work of the Northern Kentucky Church of Christ. We are located at 18 Scott Drive in Florence, Kentucky. Our phone number is 859-371-2095. You can also visit us at www.nkcofc.com. And now, that you may grow thereby. Thank you for listening to That You May Grow Thereby. I am Greg Littmer, one of the elders of the Northern Kentucky Church of Christ, and I'd like to ask you a question. Did you ever wonder why God just doesn't take his people home? Did you ever wonder why, when someone renders their obedience to the gospel of Christ, when they believe, repent, confess, and are baptized for the remission of their sins, why don't they just rise up out of the watery grave of baptism, having died to sin, and just go right on up to heaven? Wouldn't that be something? To turn our backs on sin and Satan and leave this old world behind and go right to the Father. But obviously we know that that doesn't happen. God leaves his children here on earth, and I would like to think about that for some time in this episode. Why are we who are Christians still here? Why does God leave his children on the earth? Well, there are a lot of different things we could say about this and many directions in which we could go. For instance, God wants us to fulfill the very purpose for our being here. That purpose is stated by Solomon in Ecclesiastes chapter 12 and verse 13 when he wrote, The conclusion, when all has been heard, is fear God and keep his commandments because this applies to every person. I also like the way it is expressed in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 20, For you have been bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body. So there is one answer. God leads us here to fear him and keep his commandments, and in so doing we spend our lives here on earth glorifying him. And that is not all. We know that God leads us here on earth to give others the opportunity to hear the truth, and to then live their lives fulfilling their true purpose. In the Great Commission in Matthew chapter 28 verses 18 through 20, Jesus said, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I command you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. However, there is another passage in which Jesus offers some specific answers in the matter of God's children in this world. If we turn to John 17 in the beautiful prayer of our Lord, we'll look at verses 13 through 17. There we find, But now I come to thee, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy made full in themselves. I have given them thy word, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. I do not ask thee to take them out of the world, but to keep them from the evil one. For they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Thy word is truth. The Lord tells us several things in this passage about Christians living in this world. We are not to be of the world, even as we are in it. Meaning we are not to be like the world in our actions, in our attitudes, and in our words. But at the same time, God does not want to take us out of the world, 
but does want us to keep ourselves free from Satan, and the way to do that is to remember that we are different. We have been sanctified, set apart by the truth, the word of God. So what have we seen? We are left in this world to live for God, to fulfill the very purpose of our being. We are to spread the gospel and give others the opportunity to fulfill the very purpose of their existence. We are to live in but not of the world, having been set apart by the word of truth. Living in the world as Christians, as children of God, what can we expect from the world and what should the world be able to expect from us? Well, we can right off the top say that we can expect that the world will hate us. Jesus could not have been any clearer than he was in John 17, verse 14. He said, I have given them thy word, and the world has hated them, because they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. When we choose to follow the will of the Lord Jesus Christ, the world will hate us. It really shouldn't be surprising to us when it happens. Christians are truly the only group in America today that it is politically correct to attack. I think of Peter's words in 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse 4 where he wrote, And in all this they are surprised that you do not run with them into the same excess of dissipation, and they malign you. When we dare to take a stand for God and his word, we will be different, and the world will not like it. As a matter of fact, those who make up the world will malign us, attack us, label us as bigots, and intolerant. Again, it really shouldn't be surprising to us, although even I am surprised by the vehement nature of the attacks against God and his word that seem to characterize so much of our society. But Paul told Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 12, And indeed, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. So just mark it down. When we desire to live godly lives, the world will come after us with both barrels, attempting to intimidate, frighten, or ostracize us into backing off from God's will. With many so-called Christians, unfortunately, that tactic works. Also, we can expect the world to argue with us. If those of the world cannot frighten the followers of the Lord into compromise, then they will try to persuade us using worldly logic, reason, and science falsely so-called. But that should not surprise us. In Colossians chapter 2 and verse 8, Paul wrote the following, See to it that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deception, according to the tradition of men, according to the elementary principles of the world, rather than according to Christ. There is a real difference here in that which comes from God and that which comes from man. Truth comes from God. So many attempts are made by those in the world to convince Christians that what God said is not what God meant. Just think about the homosexual movement and how persuasive the world has been in convincing people that it is not a sin. Or think about evolution or humanism that says that man is the standard of morality and of right and wrong. So the arguments proceed in never-ending procession to get Christians to compromise the truth that sets us apart and makes us different. Those in the world don't want us to be different because in being different, we condemn the sinful actions and attitudes that they have embraced. The world wants us to agree with them and thereby make them feel better. 
That is why Paul exhorts us to stay rooted in Christ. Back in Colossians chapter 2, verses 6 and 7 tells us, As you therefore have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, having been firmly rooted and now being built up in him and established in your faith, just as you were instructed and overflowing with gratitude. We can also expect that if the world's hatred fails to sway us and its arguments fail to sway us, then will come the seduction. The world will try to tempt us into their way of life, and upon that you can absolutely depend. In 1 John chapter 2, verses 15 and 16, John wrote the following, Do not love the world, nor the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life, is not from the Father, but is from the world. My friends, the world makes sin look good. It will appeal to our flesh, to our desires, and to our pride. The world will try to convince us that we are missing something if we don't do the things that they do. The world makes sin so pervasive around us that if we are not careful, we can become immune to it, not repulsed by it or even bothered by it. When hatred and argument might fail, seduction often works very well. That is why we must be careful and prepared for each and every temptation. Paul wrote in Romans chapter 12 verses 1 and 2 the following, I urge you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. The truth is that the world will work against us any way that it can. It will attack us and label us as being hypocrites, holier than thou, intolerant and unloving. It will try to convince us that what we believe and practice is outdated and irrelevant. It will try to seduce us with plain old sin. Even among those who claim to worship Christ, the world has taken hold, and they will look at us and call us legalistic and pharisaical. That is what we can expect from the world. But what should the world be able to expect from us? The world should expect us to add flavor, quality, and meaning to life. Those who make up the world would love for us to stoop to its level. If Satan can get us to act worldly, well then, we are of the world. The world wants us to be like them, but God wants us to be a positive influence for good in the world, but not of it. And that is true no matter how badly we might end up being treated. Jesus said in the great Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5, verses 13 through 16, You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt has become tasteless, how will it be made salty again? It is good for nothing anymore, except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by man. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do men light a lamp and put it under the peck measure, but on the lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. As Christians, we are the salt of the earth. 
We are here to give flavor and meaning to life. We are here to be lights that shine in the midst of darkness that so characterizes the world and we can't do any of that if we act like the world ourselves. Let's talk a little more about being lights because that is what the world should expect of us. In Philippians 2, 14 through 16, we read, Do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you may prove yourselves to be blameless and innocent, children of God above reproach in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation, among whom you appear as lights in the world, holding fast the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I may have cause to glory, because I did not run in vain, nor toil in vain. Talk about being different. Paul is saying that our attitudes and our actions should be clearly distinct from the world around us. We are not to be negative, angry, complaining whiners. We are supposed to get on with it, standing out as lights in the world because of our devotion to the truth. We should be the most optimistic people of all because we believe in our victorious Savior. We should be the kind of people that folks will look at and say, whatever it is you have, I want it. That is what the Lord taught. In a dark room, all, all it takes is one small light. Everybody can see it and follow it. We need to be that light, standing out in a darkened world. The world should also expect us to be wise. Turning to Colossians chapter 4, we will read verses 5 and 6. Paul wrote, Conduct yourselves with wisdom toward outsiders, making the most of the opportunity. Let your speech always be with grace, seasoned, as it were, with salt, so that you may know how you should respond to each person. The kind of life that God calls upon us to live in the world, but not of it, requires wisdom. We have to be careful, using our opportunities well. Our speech should always reflect the wonderful grace of God. In every situation, we should use tact and wisdom to respond properly to every person, even those in the world who are clearly the enemies of truth. First Peter chapter 3, verses 14 through 15 tells us, But even if you should suffer for the sake of righteousness, you are blessed. And do not fear their intimidation, and do not be troubled, but sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts, always being ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you, yet with gentleness and reverence. And I'll tell you what, that takes wisdom. My friends, the world should want those of us who are Christians to be living sermons. Did you ever hear that actions speak louder than words? There is some truth to that. Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 2 and 3 the following, you are our letter, written in our hearts, known and read by all men, being manifested that you are a letter of Christ, cared for by us, written not with ink, but with the Spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. The idea is to be a daily sermon by the way that we live. And we are that daily sermon because the Word of God is written on our hearts and for the true, faithful child of God, it cannot be any other way. This is the way that it is. God has not left us unprepared, nor has he failed to warn us what to expect from the world. 
At the same time, he has given his children jobs to do that will help others to do the very thing that all of us have done. That is to come out of the world, still live in it, but no longer be of it, through obedience to the gospel of the Lord and a faithful running of the race of life. I hope this has been beneficial to you. Thanks for listening.